Write it down. I'll fucking edit this too. I'm going to be up till 10 o'clock editing this piece of shit podcast. Jesus Christ. All right, everybody shut up. Welcome to, hey, did you ever see that movie? I'm your host, Dez, and as always, I'm joined by my impatient co-host, Lynn. Have you seen my stippler? <laughs> and joining us again this week, the podcaster with a fully packed bong, Pat. I could totally burn this place down. <laughs> okay, so you finally watched a movie. This week, we will be reviewing the 1999 dark comedy Office Space. This movie was directed and written by Mike Judge. It stars Ron Livingston, Jennifer Aniston, Gary Cole, David Herman, and Ajay Naidu. As always, <laughs> no. this podcast will contain spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie, go watch it, then come back and listen to the podcast. And now it's time for another episode of Disaster Peace Theater. So sit back. And enjoy the show. Welcome to Disaster Peace Theater, where me and my two co-hosts will act out one scene from the movie that we are reviewing for you this evening. So please, sit back, grab some popcorn, and enjoy the show. Speed. Sound production, take one. <laughs> Beavis, what were we thinking? You know why I can't figure out? How can all these stupid mafia guys be so good at crime and smart guys like you and I suck so bad at it? <laughs> uh, we're new to it though. Uh, <laughs> if we had more experience. You know what I'm thinking? I think we're screwed. There's enough evidence all over that building to link us to this. Even if we could launder the money, I wouldn't want to do it. What we've done is bad enough, butthead. We get caught laundering money. We're not going to a white-collar resort. No, no. We're going to a federal pound-me-in-the-ass prison. That'd be cool. Uh, I don't want to go to prison, fart knocker. Why the hell did I do this? I've uh, never <laughs> done anything wrong in my whole life. We were thinking clearly because you told us we were losing our jobs, butt munch. Now look at us. We're worried about going to prison, a-hole. Don't worry, boys. I'll think of something. Pat's your fucking line. <laughs> Uh, what? Cut! 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 Okay. You guys want to do it again? No. <laughs> okay. Okay. And now it's time for Dez's four and one fun and one fake fact, where it will be up to my two co-hosts to figure out which fact is total bullshit. Here we go. Fun fact number one. The iconic red stapler coveted by Milton was created for the built for the film was created for the film by the prop department. 
They needed a bright enough color to be seen on film and chose red. After the film was released, Swingline began to receive requests for customers for red staplers. Having stopped offering the red stapler several years before, they made the decision to start offering the color once again. Okay. Number two. Milton was actually based on a former co-worker that Mike Judge had worked with during his days as an engineer. One day, Judge went to the co-worker and asked him how he was doing. The co-worker began talking about how he was going to quit his job because he had been forced to move his desk around too many times. Number three. Originally, the character's name, Michael Bolton, was written as Michael Jackson. And he was going to be a fan of the pop star, but Mike Judge thought it was a little too far over the top. Number four. One of the promotions for this film invited people in certain cities to watch and participate in the bashing of office equipment. There was also an internet campaign that linked to a website where people could expose their bad bosses. And number five. The PC load letter scene was not scripted. David Herman had more lines to say to Ron Livingston, but he was interrupted by the the photocopier jamming and didn't understand what the error message meant. Pat, which of these five... No, Delin. Which of these five fun facts do you think is total bullshit? Uh, I'm going to say the promotion to bash in office equipment. Okie dokie. And Pat, which do you think is total bullshit? I think number one. Uh, Finally, I have in fact stumped the panel. The fake fact is Michael Jackson was never the name for Michael Bolton. And I'm sure Michael would have hated Michael Jackson because that's the kind of guy he is. (laughs) It is. Okay, okay, that was fun. Uh, with a budget of $10 million and a box office gross of a whopping $12 million, this was a flop, but gained huge cult following in later years. Dylan, will you please give us the lengthy synopsis I have provided you? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Corporate drone Peter Gibbons hates his soul-killing job at a software company, Inatech. While undergoing hypnotherapy, Peter is left in a blissful state when his therapist dies in the middle of their session. He refuses to work overtime, plays games at his desk, and unintentionally charms two consultants into putting him on the management fast track. When Peter's friends learn that they're about to be downsized, they hatch a revenge plot against the company inspired by Superman 3. Sweet. How many rewatches would you give Superman 3, Pat? Two. Dylan. Which one is that? Is that the one it's with the Lex Luthor they... in the pool? Is, I don't think it's Lex. Is it the Lex Luthor I think, one? I think that's the one Richard Pryor's in. I think or was you that might the fourth right. one? I, I'm not sure. I can't remember. I, I mean, honestly, were... the, the Superman one, the first one, is the only one that's really worth watching, if you ask me. But Yes. Maybe that's rude. I mean, I do love Christopher Reeves as Superman, but uh... they got a little silly. Too bad his superpowers didn't cover trees and horses. Oh, too oh, soon. Oh, too, too soon? Too soon. Oh. Way too soon. 
Too All soon. right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Unnecessary. <laughs> that too. Well, it was. It wasn't it decades ago. It was it's a been a long laugh. time. It doesn't oh, matter. It's been it's a very right. long time since that happened. That's why I'm like too soon. How about inappropriate? <laughs> totally. I might edit that out. <laughs> no, don't. It'll, okay. it'll be fun. It'll be fun listening to the people laugh at us, laugh at you. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, Dylan, go ahead and let's start this uh, this gem of a movie off. I don't, first of all, let's uh, just go through it. Pat, have you ever seen this movie before preparing for the podcast? <laughs> no, I did not. I had Dylan, never seen it. Have you ever seen a movie before? Oh, yes. I have seen this quite a few times. Okay. I also have seen this movie uh, at least a hundred times. Um, I haven't watched it in probably, I don't know, maybe a year or so, but I, I watch it a couple of times a year uh, on an average. So, okay, let's do it. All right. Let's see. Here we go. So uh, the way I wrote it, it doesn't cover the scene with Peter and Michael Bolton and Samir all in their cars, but that does happen at the very beginning. It's basically... Uh, them stuck in traffic trying to get to work and it's ridiculous. Um, oh, yeah. And we, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, we get a nice montage of all the characters uh, making their way into work for all the yeah. main players. Um, I love Ron Livingston. You know, he's a great actor. He was really good in Swingers. Um, was that the only thing he was in? Because he looks really familiar. He reminds me of Brendan Fraser. <laughs> really? He doesn't remind me of Brendan Fraser at all. Well, neither uh, did the guy that I thought looked like Anthony Michael. Oh, Michael Anthony. Oh, what, whoever, whoever the hell that was. Yeah, yeah. They're all distant cousins of... Uh, of Fifth of, cousin on the father's side? Right. Um, right. We're going to get uh, two returning characters from Dodgeball in this one. We're going to get um, Milton, who played... Uh, who was he in Dodgeball? Gordon. Gordo. Gordo. So, yeah. yeah. So, Milton is Gordo in Dodgeball. And we are going to get Gary Cole, a.k.a. Cotton McKnight, back. Um, also famous for playing Mr. Brady in the uh, Brady Bunch reboot. Um, we were talking today at work, me and Pat, about this opening scene. And uh, come on, how many times you've been stuck in that slow lane in traffic and you see the lane next to you zipping and then you're like, all right, I'm going to get into that lane. Then you get into that lane and next thing you know, like the plumber van that was behind you was like now flying past you. However, we, however, you probably would never have had an older gentleman on the sidewalk at the walker get further up the street in a less amount of time than it took you to do. I thought that was fun. Uh, for years, I had to uh, commute towards Boston. And the commute towards Boston was that exact commute every single day. It was oh, yeah. bumper to bumper. Oh, I could never like do a that. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And you just wanted to kill yourself the entire time. And I was actually stuck in traffic the day those people chained themselves to the barrels in these oh, square. No. Yeah. And I, I literally sat in traffic for three and a half hours. So oh, yeah. that's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I could I, never go ahead. Dylan and I worked in that place together and uh, we took that drive together um, many times down 24 and Oh, good God. Stop and go. Wasn't even the word hour, hour and 15 minutes. Oh, it's horrifying. <laughs> uh, so my favorite, uh, my favorite part of this opening montage is Michael Bolton's. Uh, he's in his car. He's rapping to uh, "Tears," but no tears by Scarface. And <laughs> I'm not a huge rap, you know. I don't listen to a ton of rap, but um, this movie reminded me of how good rap was in the late '90s because this soundtrack is fucking awesome. Getting some really, really strong rap tracks that I just forgot how good it was. It was really, really good back then, and you know. 
he's he's fucking singing this thing so hard and uh and then you know you get this african-american approaching the car selling flowers this like sweet looking guy totally harmless and as he gets up close you know michael bolton is like easing the volume down and like creeping his hand over and locking the door and stops rapping and as soon as he kind of walks by the car he cranks it up and starts like (laughs) you know oh god yeah i don't i don't think any of us can can say that we didn't do something similar to that i mean how many times you come to a stop sign even in stoughton um where you come to a stop sign or a stoplight and you see somebody with a sign will work for food need food have children and you just like the window goes up your eyes are straight ahead you can't see what's over here and you're just ignoring them completely yeah i don't do that i usually call them over and give them some money <laughs> yeah i'm sure you do i do uh, yeah i remember i was going to play golf with my buddies uh last summer and i had to turn around in a complex because i had missed the uh the entrance for the golf course and it just so happened that um Vanilla, uh, not yeah, Vanilla Ice, um, Ice Ice Baby was on, and I, I fucking love that song. Who doesn't? What what Wonder Bread White Boy doesn't like that song? I'm fucking, I'm in my Mini Cooper with the fucking the, the fucking volume all the way up, rapping this thing as I turn around in there. Oh my and Let's God. just say there were some cool guys sitting on the steps of one of the buildings, and I was, uh, I was not one I, of them. I was a little embarrassed. Let's just say I was going to say you weren't one of them. I was not one of them. Hello, fellow kids. <laughs> okay, uh, let's let's keep going. All right, so let's get. I've already into got the movie. like fifteen minutes to edit out of the beginning of this thing. <laughs> All right, so. After Peter, played by Ron Livingstone, endures a morning at work consisting of repetitive rep- repetitive reprimands. Oof, that was a tough one. About the minutia of TPS reports, oh. the bleak office atmosphere takes a turn for the worse when the employees are informed that Initech is bringing in consultants to help improve efficiency. All the Initechers are nervous about interviewing for their own jobs. But Milton, played by Stephen Root, a twitchy, mumbling, longtime employee, is only concerned that he will either be asked to move his desk once again or that somebody will notice he's kept his beloved red swing line stapler after the company switched to another brand. Michael Bolton, played by David Herman, threatens to unleash the virus he's been working on or joins Samir, played by A.J. Nadu, in trashing the horrible printer they're forced to deal with. Later that night, when Peter returns home, his neighbor Lawrence, played by Diedrich Bader, gives him the suggestion to sneak out of the office the next day before his boss catches him and asks him to stay and work for the weekend. Uh, Des, have you ever worked in a cube farm situation like that? Uh, yeah, I have. Um, I was a uh, telemarketer for years, um, you know, for one point selling a paper, a newspaper subscriptions. And uh, then I spent a few years doing um, fundraiser drives for the police and the fire department. So yeah, I've I've been part of this. Um, did you guys notice when the, uh, we get the shot of the front of uh, Inatech? Did you guys see the big sign for Inatech, the big like three dimensional sign? Yeah, yeah. Did you notice it was a square, um, a square cylinder going through a circle? So it was a square going through a circle. Oh, I didn't um, notice that. I thought no, it was like I didn't see a that. Hubert thing. Yeah, no, it was a yeah, square. That's what I thought too. Yeah, square cylinder going through a uh, a circle, which I thought was a metaphor for the movie of, you know, maybe Peter not fitting in. You know, he was like the yeah square peg in a circle hole. So I thought that was interesting. And it was definitely done intentionally. No question. Yeah, that's clever. Um, yeah. Very. And, 
And we've been getting shocked around the house a lot lately. So when he touches the doorknob, <laughs> um, I was like, fuck, man, that's been happening to me nonstop lately. Not the bathroom light switch. Not the bathroom light switch. Like anything <laughs> you touch here is an electrocution. So, Pat, nice. what you think of these opening scenes? Um, I thought it was pretty... Uh, the... It was it was strange. Peter just seemed so. Just watching him walk in, he's like no expression on his face. He's got no lift in his walk. He's just so sad and so unhappy. And he he parks his ass at his desk, and the first thing I pick up on is the sound of that receptionist. Oh, Hello. Just a moment. Just a moment. And <laughs> yeah. and then as the camera's not even on her, you can still hear it in the background. And all I could think to myself was, is, dear God, I could never listen to that day in and day out. It would drive me insane. And then, of course, he has a dream, and that's all he hears in his dream. And I'm like, oh, God, that's horrifying. Yeah, Nina is like a robot. She's fucking bizarre. Um, Lumberg comes up to his desk and we're going to get our first look at Lumberg. I mean, we've seen him pulling in his, uh, Porsche, but he comes over to his desk and throughout the movie, we're going to keep seeing Lumberg with these matching tie and suspenders. Every scene he's matching his tie to his, he's very well dressed. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, and he's got the class ring, you know, it's like, he's just, this is this guy, you know, he went to college and he's got his little job and, you know, he takes it seriously. It's a total fucking dipshit. Um, yeah, he's I'm, he's I'm, his yeah. total image freak. Yeah, he's fun to hate. Dylan, what you think of the opening scenes? Uh, like he was saying, the thing with Nina that I can hear it in my head right now. Just absolutely can you imagine having to sit like four feet away from that person and listen to that all day long. I would literally lose my mind. And in my brain, I'm saying, "Well, <clears throat> you got to get some noise canceling headphones." And it's like, "Oh, that wasn't a thing then." You know, it's like, yeah, that's right, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't a thing then. So, the, the other thing I want I didn't mention um, was there were their constant reference to the TPS reports. Yeah. I thought it, it was so funny. Bill Bill walks up to it, and Bill's a fucking moron. I mean, just the way he took, yeah, we're gonna need that. And it's like, wow, could he talk a little slower? Because it's yeah. like he thinks his people are stupid, and I just I couldn't figure out which one was. But they kept repeating. Everyone walked up to him. Mentioned in this damn TPS cover sheet. First it's Bill, and then it's Dom, and then he gets a phone call, and I knew the phone call. It was talking about the cover sheet, oh, of course. And we're oh, gonna get it. it. Just... And then Michael Bolton talks about it when they were drinking. When coffee. they're having coffee, yeah. And what's up with the TPS reports? Yeah, what is up with that? Yeah. Oh, that, the constant reference to that just made me. Th- I mean, three times in the one in the first like fifteen minutes of the movies, I'm like, wow, this is fucked up. Um. I love when he asked Milton too. He's like, you know, could you maybe just keep it down a little bit, turn it down a little bit? I, I, I have permission. You know, if she can do this while she's collating, I can listen to this while I from from say eight to ten o'clock. He Nine was fucking 11. great. Nine I love Milton. I, I can listen to it in, in a reasonable volume while I'm collating. <laughs> you know, and he's like, all right, all right, fine, just fucking listen to it. Fuck off. You know, he's fucking great. Milton was my favorite character. Just oh, by far. Yeah, no, Lawrence. Lawrence by far is my favorite character in this. I, I had, love him. I had to turn the volume up, literally, and I didn't think I had it that quiet just to hear Milton say, "I could totally light this place on fire." Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, Everything the first time I watched the breath. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the first time I watched it, I swear to God, I didn't hear it at all. And then I was working with Des and he's like, yeah, well, that's where the line came from. He says it like five times. I'm like, how the fuck did I miss it five times? Yeah, so he asked these guys to go out and get some coffee because he's losing his mind. So they go over to this restaurant, Tchotchkes. And this is where we're going to see um, Jennifer Aniston for the first time. She's very young. She looks a little different to me. Does it look like this is like maybe pre-nose job? Is this her first? Is this her it's, first acting role? Uh, no. So I actually no, have this later been. on in the in the script. But so this is 1999. Friends was 94 to something. But it was this is right in the middle of the Friends run. So I don't know if she had a nose job or not. But this is right in the middle of her being on Friends. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a decent scene, you know, there, this is where, you know, Peter's just, just saying, I can't fucking do it anymore. I fucking hate this place. You know, I, some of the mornings I just feel like I'm going to go in shooting and then we're going to get this obnoxious little waiter that comes over, you know, Brian. <laughs> oh, he fucking Brian is great. I love him. Oh, you, you think you should love Brian. I thought Brian was the biggest pussy I'd ever seen walking. Of course. The the yeah. I mean, I didn't love him. Like I'd invite him over to hang out and play video games, but I like the character. Oh yeah. Right, you know? right, right, right. Um, just a fake smile. I mean, his if he smiled any wider, his teeth would like fall out of his mouth. It was right. so it was so huge. Well, we went for uh, dinner at Chili's today, and uh, we had a, a little Brian as a server. Only it was like <laughs> Brianna or whatever. But yeah, oh, she Jesus. was she was giving us her her best. Tip me well. Um, so funny story I'll tell right now. I mean, you guys both know it, but the listeners don't. So Dylan and I used to go eat dinner at Fridays and <laughs> you would get these Fridays points. Like if you bought an appetizer, you get like, you know, seven Fridays points, whatever. And if you built up enough Fridays points, you could get like half off an appetizer or, you know, a free entree. If you were like some psycho that ate there all the time and, you know, were like able you. to get a thousand points. So, you know, we had maybe built up, I don't know, 50 points, 45 points, whatever. So she checks on the app one day and it says like, we have 250,000 Friday's <laughs> points. Like I'm not exaggerating, like literally like 250,000 <laughs> points. So we go in and we're able now to uh, feed one of us for free every time <laughs> we go. So we buy one entree, we get another entree for free. So we start going there like one, two nights a week until I know the staff personally. And every time we pay, I have to, I, and Dylan hated this. I'd be like, I'd be like, hey, how about all those points? They'd be like, holy shit. How'd you get all these points? I'd be like, yeah, we had a wedding catered by Fridays. <laughs> Dylan would be kicking me under the table. Like, will you shut the fuck up? And this went on for about, I don't know, maybe a year. Yeah, and, maybe like eight months. Like eight months of us eating there one, two nights a week. And, and I heard about it every time. Yeah, and uh, eventually uh, we checked and we had zero points on the card. We had so... like negative 13,000 points. Like <laughs> okay, that. okay. Us to pay points back. Okay, it was. It was. You're right. It was like negative points. Like they wanted <laughs> money from you us. You never told me that part. Yeah, they you wanted never money. told me that part. I That's deleted awesome. the app immediately and we never went back. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, and, and that Friday's actually shut down. So. Yeah, hey, you put them out of business, you bastard. Yeah, we did. So, um, so they go back to Peter's apartment. That's our next scene here. And did you guys notice the name of Peter's complex? No. It, I, it happened so fast I could barely see it. The complex is called Morning Wood. Oh God! 
It's called Morning Wood. Holy oh my shit. God. So good. Um, I love it here, you know. So Peter's going to ask Lawrence. Lawrence is his neighbor. Um, he can hear him through the wall, you know. So like he's talking to him. He's like, God damn it, Lawrence. Can't you pretend like you can't hear every word I say through the wall? Just come over. So he comes over and he asks. Lawrence gets a shitload of great lines in this movie. Peter asks him, you know, anybody ever say, you know, you got a case of the Mondays at work? And Lawrence says, no, no, no shit, man. I believe you get your ass kicked for saying something like that. And <laughs> I just thought that was fucking great. And oh, then, yeah. you know, and we're going to get the old, you know, Peter's going to ask Lawrence, what would you do with a million bucks? And Lawrence says, you know what I do with a million bucks? I do two chicks at the same time. And Peter <laughs>, laughs as always joking. And then the camera pitches over to Lawrence and Lawrence is like deadpan staring at the camera. <laughs> and Peter realizes like, this is what this guy would do with a million bucks. You know, you think you'd need a million bucks to do that? You know, and he says, any two chicks that would go down on me at the same time. Yeah, basically. Oh, God. So, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was, it was, that was, that was definitely uh, Mike Judge. You, when yeah. I, when I heard that whole line, I'm like, oh, that is so Mike Judge. Because all I can remember is Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. Uh, we also skipped over just uh, how funny Michael Bolton's cubicle is with all the Navy SEALs posters and his all home the is hard, the same way. Yeah. yeah all the hard gangster rap. Yeah, yeah. All the hard gangster rap stuff. And he's such a soft little vanilla, white <laughs> bread, wonder bread, no wannabe. balls having motherfucker. Wannabe. And at, at lunch, Peter says to him, you know, you know, I work in an attack. I'm a pussy. And, uh, and Michael says, yeah, well, I work in an attack and I'm no pussy. It's like, dude, you are a fucking poo-tang. Yeah, but, but, but even Samir was like, I'm not a pussy either. Yeah. Well, they are fucking all three of those guys are fucking big old femmes. <laughs> uh, so bring us into Dr. Swanson's office. All right. On Friday, Peter attempts to sneak out early, but is caught by his boss, Bill Lumberg, played by Gary Cole. As feared, he's told to come in on Saturday and Sunday. Peter finally leaves the office and reluctantly joins his girlfriend, Anne, played by Alexandra Wentworth, at an appointment with an occupational hypnotherapist. She's hoping that the therapist, played by Michael McShane, can help snap him out of his negative spiral. The hypnotherapist does indeed get Peter into a very relaxed state, but suffers a fatal heart attack before he can bring him out of it. The next morning, Peter ignores his alarm clock and goes back to sleep. While asleep, he gets 17 calls from Lumberg. He takes an angry call from Anne, who's demanding an explanation for his odd behavior. Peter responds by hanging up on her, and Anne responds by breaking up with him and confirming that, yes, she was cheating on him. <laughs> Peter returns to bed for the remainder of the day unbothered. So, Pat, I was trying to place the actor playing the doctor because he looked very familiar. And uh, I looked him up, and he's done a ton of voice actor work, but what I really know him from is from Seinfeld. He played Franklin Delano Romanowski on Seinfeld, and I just yes, knew he that did. face. <laughs> yes, he did. Okay. Yeah, Pat yeah. is not a Seinfeld fan. But I remember the face fan. from somewhere, and that yep. makes sense where. That's yeah, where. he's famous for the episode where he uh, wishes Kramer to die on his birthday, and <laughs> Kramer has to trade him back like 30 birthday wishes to uh yeah so it's take pretty the curse good off them. take the curse <laughs> off them um so we didn't we didn't uh say that everybody thinks that ann is cheating on peter so we're gonna get this yes. joke like five times before she actually confirms on the message that she has been cheating on him mm -hmm. uh 
you know, he and, and Peter's reaction was the best because everyone keeps saying the same thing. Yeah, I could see that. What yeah, do you mean? What do you mean? It just seems like the kind three, of people three, three, yeah. four different people all said the same thing to him. And he said, How, yeah. what do you mean? And you never, you never really got the explanation, but I loved it when she's, she's screaming at him on the phone and he's just looking at the phone and touches the off button. That's great. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. He hung up on her. And then she calls back screaming, nobody hangs up on me, you asshole. And I was cheating on you. And I'm like, oh, man, that's awesome. I love in Dr. Swanson's office where Dr. Swanson, you know, he's asking Peter. And Peter's like, you know, every day is the worst day of my life. And Dr. <laughs> Swanson goes, is today the worst day of your life? And he goes, yes, yes, it is. He goes, wow, that's messed up. <laughs> yeah, I, made, I made a note about that, too. I'm like. And I had said, that's the last thing you want to hear from your therapist is, and, wow, that's and, messed and up. And Anne looks at the therapist when he says it like, what the she, fuck? She's like, what the hell are you saying? Yeah. Yeah, and, her uh, reaction was the best. And the answering machine and the hardline phone, man, just looks so dated. I was like, holy shit, a fucking answering machine. That's well, this crazy. was made in 99. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't if if I remember right, was, and it yeah. took place. It, it took place in the same time frame because they were talking about the big Y two K scare that right. yep. all the computers and everything was going to crash because it didn't know what to do when uh, it rolled to two thousand. Yeah, so this was, was all about their software skills getting ready for this. Yeah. Right, and it was it was just too funny how all three of them would they they were just so unhappy with their job, and. It's it was well, just it just Samir made your office like look horrifying. Samir isn't. Samir is happy to be working and he says it several times during the show. You know, I just want job security. He goes, I'm happy to just be working. You know, but but he is probably one of the angriest out of all of them because you see him snapping <laughs> like going crazy. Yeah. Um, when he snaps, he snaps hard. Yeah. Um so coming back from uh the morning the morning uh, breakfast, we skipped over the fact that uh, Tom is going to tell them that some consultants are going to be coming in and they're going to be interviewing for their own jobs. Yeah, I said it. I just didn't say Tom said it, but I said that. And oh. I, I made a, I even asked Des today, I'm like, I couldn't understand um, when they're showing them walking back to the office and then there's the long scape of them going down into this trough of grass and then going back up on the other side. And I'm like, it didn't make sense why they were actually filming it that way, except for the fact that you had to laugh watching Tom try to climb back up the other side. <laughs> I think that's the only reason they that did it, because it. that was that was really funny. He could not, he was and talking, and, and Des was even last laughing about this earlier, talking about waiting on, um, at the end, Waiting at the unemployment line with all those scumbags. Yeah, the thought of the thought of having oh. to collect unemployment, go to the unemployment office and stand in line with all those scumbags is fucking great. Oh, it was so funny. Tom was an absolute scream. Holy yeah, he was shit! Riot. Uh, yeah, so uh, we're gonna meet the Bobs soon. The Bobs. Go ahead, take us into the Bobs, if you all will. All right. So on Monday, instead of going to work. Peter goes to Trotsky's and finally asks out Joanna, a waitress he's smitten with, played by Jennifer Aniston. They get to know each other over lunch, and he tells her of his plan to not quit, but just kind of stop going to work. They also discover a mutual appreciation for the TV series Kung Fu, 
and a date is made to watch it later at Peter's apartment. Peter then heads over to the Initech office to retrieve his address book and runs into Michael Bolton, who advises him to go home instead of keeping his interview with the efficiency experts, both of whom happen to be named Bob. Peter decides this is the opportunity he's been waiting for and meets with the Bobs, played by John C. McKinley and Paul Wilson. He tells them in no uncertain terms about his lack of motivation and his frustration of having to answer to seven levels of management. He leaves the meeting feeling unburdened, wishes them all well, and the Bobs are duly impressed. So uh, I wrote a note here that I kind of felt like Jennifer Aniston didn't quite fit into this cast. And not that it's I had anything against her. It's that she was a huge name at this point. So it's like she's this gigantic name in the middle of this movie that has a bunch of, not nobodies, because I don't mean it like that, but like not names. Not well known. Yes. And um, also fun fact, her real middle name is Joanna. Hmm, interesting. Oh, good. Uh, I love the Bobs, and I specifically love Bob Slidell, playing by John C. McGinley. I love this actor. I love him in everything. Platoon, Wall Street. He's in some of my favorite movies. Yeah. He's a fucking amazing actor. He's actually too good for this movie. Um, he played it great. Um, I love his interview with Michael Bolton. And, you know, he's like, so, you know, you got to be a fan, right? And he's like, <laughs> Michael Bolton's like, yeah, he's all right, you know? And he's like, oh, I know what you mean. I celebrate the man's entire catalog, you know. <laughs> that that and, made uh, me that made me cringe. Yeah, and and it's and it seems to me that this moment, you know, and and Bob Seidel's great because once you cross his character, you're done. Like he he his look changes and you are now fucking done. Bob Seidel is now going to fire you. So he says, All right, so let's do it, Michael. And as soon as he says Michael. Mike goes, uh, just call me Mike. And Bob Seidel is now offended that he does not want to be called Michael Bolton anymore. It's like somebody and flipped a switch in the back of his head. And he went switch. from happy to totally unhappy. And he's done. Now Michael is yeah. done. He should have just gone with a Michael Bolton deal. And I did notice this, and I didn't look this up. I actually noticed it. The two Bobs are both wearing um, uh, medical emergency bracelets on their right that. arm. And I thought that was a strange choice. So I Googled why they were, and nobody really had an answer for it. Maybe if one of them had a uh, an emergency like collapse, they'd be able to tell the two bobs apart. I don't know. It was really weird. It was a strange well, choice. I'm wondering, now that you mentioned this, maybe they were real bracelets, and they both no, just happened to no, have them. No, definitely not. It was a choice by the no, director. De de definitely not. Definitely, yeah, de definitely not. not. Definitely, um, definitely not. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Um, so I was also going to ask you guys, so during Michael, I mean, during Peter's interview with the Bobs, I'm I'm thinking at first, I'm like, why would these guys like be taking such a shine to him? Why would they be considering him for upper management? You know, like, why wouldn't they just be like putting him top of the list to be fired? And then I'm like, you know what? These guys are there to evaluate the, the workplace, why are things failing? Why are things working? What can they do to make things better? And I think that they're smart guys, both of them. And I think that they're seeing through upper management there, um, Lumberg, and they see a bunch of little ass kissers. And then Peter comes in and you probably don't get to talk to guys like this too often. And he's telling them, what's up? It's not that I'm lazy. I just don't care. I'm not motivated. This fucking guy, I've got three bosses. They're all doing nothing. TPS reports all day and they're like, huh, little inside Intel coming from Peter. And, uh, he's got some ideas and I think they, uh, they're like, eh, 
Can't be any worse than what's going on. Maybe we'll put this guy in position to see what happens. So kind of started to make sense a little bit, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Delane? Well, I mean, they do call him a straight shooter. So that's kind of what they think of him, that he's just telling them the truth and not trying to save his job or anything else. Like he's like happy firing guys, you know, like he doesn't care. And so I think that's what, I think that's what the, that's what I got from the whole scene is he's just so relaxed and so unconcerned. And it's like, everything he's telling is the truth because he just doesn't care if he's telling them the truth and they're hearing things they're not used to hearing. They're seeing somebody in a completely relaxed atmosphere and, and state of mind that they're not used to seeing. Um, I thought it was really funny how they, they literally love this guy. I mean, oh, yeah. when, when he's getting ready to leave and he's shaking their hands and uh, good luck with the firings. I hope everything goes well for you. And and both Bob and Bob are like, you know, this is what this is happiness on this side of the table. And the, the smiles were like genuine. They were so happy yeah. to have been sitting there talking to this guy. And I'm like, well, I couldn't figure out exactly what it was that made them love him, but it had to have become because he just didn't care. And that's how he spoke. Did you guys notice that fucking Milton's plant was dead, but he kept dragging it around the office with him? That thing was fucking (laughs) phenomenal, man. I love that plant. Uh, So he's going to go and he's going to ask Joanna to lunch. And uh, I thought this was, I thought this was kind of strange. Like the way they were talking to each other. Um, it was just weird, right? It was like they, yeah, the way they were talking, like, uh, you know, yeah, this is my flair. Uh, you know, I don't like to talk about my flair. And then he's like, Ugh. you know, I, I do programming and I, I don't like it. I, I don't. And it's just like this completely emotionless, like bizarre tone in their voices when they're talking to each other. I'm like, what movie is this? It's like completely bizarre. Like they're almost both in a trance. And then he mentions Kung Fu and she's like, I love Kung Fu. Do you want to come over and watch Kung Fu? Totally. I'm going to come watch Kung Fu. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) It was really strange, man. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is that they're both so grossly unhappy Uh, with where they work that they have no emotion that is anything other than this kind of flat weirdness. Um, Even though he's already hypnotized, he's still kind of coming to terms with what this all means for him. So, yeah, just I thought that that was maybe the reason for the awkwardness and weirdness. I think part of it was also because she's still wearing her uniform from her job. Mm -hmm. And she's literally on her lunch break from her job, which is next door at Tchotchke's. But her reaction to everything that Peter was saying, how Peter was like, well, I don't think I'm going to go to work anymore. Well, what do you yeah. mean? You, what are you going to quit? Nah, no, I'm just not going to go. Yeah. Uh, but well, how are you going to make money and pay your bills? Yeah, I don't like, don't like paying bills either anymore. So I don't think I'm going to do that either. Mm. And it's it's like he was born yesterday. Is the way he's talking, and like he like it, like there are no consequences. Yeah. That's how yeah. little he cared. There were no consequences to any decision he made. Okay. Joanna is struggling at work. Her boss, cameo by Mike Judge, 
keeps pushing pushing her to wear more flair, but he wants her to wear it because she wants to wear it, not because he's forcing her to do it. He lectures her that while flair is her opportunity to express herself, she seems satisfied in only wearing the minimum 15 pieces, and that disappoints him. So he wants her to want to wear more, which is, I don't get it, but okay. Uh, meanwhile, the reorganization at Initech is progressing. The Bobs are meeting with upper management and inform Lumberg of several employees who will be let go, including Michael and Samir. They also point out that they discovered that Milton has been laid off five years before, and for some reason no one told him, and no one stopped paying him. The Bobs report that they fixed the glitch and that Milton will no longer be paid and he'll eventually leave on his own accord. When they bring up the subject of promoting Peter, Lumberg disagrees with them, but they vehemently push back and start quizzing Lumberg on just how much time he's spending on those TPS reports. <laughs> Again with the TPS reports. Holy shit. Yeah. That's Lumberg, insane. Lumberg makes the mistake of questioning Bob Lydell's, Bob Slidell's, um, you know, opinion. And yeah, he you wasn't immediately happy see Slidell's face get not just perturbed, he is angry. He is, he is. Doesn't the other Bob hold him back? He does. Yeah, the other he Bob pats his arm. He pats his arm like, I'll take care of this. Yeah, the other Bob holds him back, and Bob Slidell is now staring at Lumberg with an angry look on his face. Like, he's ready to whoop his ass. And, <laughs> uh, and yeah, so that's pretty good. And then basically you can see now that Lumberg's job is in jeopardy, jeopardy. And, and Lumberg knows it. And Lumberg also now knows that the Bobs are on Peter's side and that his picking on Peter's days are over. He's going to try it a little more, but it's over. And I love this because unlike last week with um, the uh, Boondock Saints, I didn't hate the bad guy. I fucking hate Lumberg. And I love when Peter finally is able to tell Lumberg, you know, basically go fuck yourself, you know? Yeah, so, that's... Yeah, he undoes his desk. He kicks the fucking front over so he can see out the window. Awesome. Lumberg comes over. He's like, Peter, you think we need to have a talk? And Peter's eating fucking, you know, Cheez-Its or or Cheetos (laughs) and playing Tetris. And he's like kind of (laughs) dismissing him. And you know, you know, I'm I'm gonna ask have to ask you to just come come back another time, Lumberg. I'm busy. And uh you know, Lumberg tries to give him shit. He goes, I gotta go. I got I got a meeting with the Bobs. And Lumberg was like, uh, no one told me. Yeah, they called me at home. And he just kind of walks away and, oh. and tries to save face. All right, Peter, we'll talk later and uh, we'll have somebody clean this up. I fucking oh, love it. That was such a great scene. And um, that's my second scene that I loved when uh, Peter just totally dismissed uh, Bill. Oh, yeah. Uh, the first scene when when and we didn't bring this up and i made a note of it which just reminded me of it when peter finally shows back up at the office after not showing up to work saturday everybody's like what are you doing what the hell bill's got us look for you You get the meeting with the bobs and he comes out of the meeting with the bobs and he rounds the corner and there's bill waiting for him yeah and he starts a conversation with peter and peter just walks around him he doesn't even engage. He just completely ignores Bill as he just walks by him. I'm like, oh, that was so awesome. It's and there's better some too lo- because he walks straight at him and then goes and, then and just whoops goes right, right around him. him. Yeah. And there's some great lines in that second meeting with the Bobs and um and Michael. I mean now uh, Peter, where you know. I see you've been missing a lot of work. <laughs> I wouldn't say I've been say missing, missing it. And they and, loved it. They loved yeah, it. They thought that was super funny. That and, was you know, awesome. He, he, 
problem. They're going to be firing Michael and Samir and, you know, putting some guys under him. And, and, you know, it's, it's just, it's all good. It's just all really funny stuff. Um, I love when they're talking about the firings, the Bobs too. And, you know, we're going to get that great line. Um, Samir Naga, Naga, well, not going to work here anymore. These are all really great lines. And that's the charm of this movie is how, um, quotable it is you know it's not i mean it's not a strong movie it's not strong you know movie writing or you know character building or it's fucking very simple but it's very very quotable they did a really good job of writing one-liners for everybody oh i've and and i've heard this is being the first time i've seen this movie i now get to see the scenes where the lines that i've heard through i don't know how many years from des Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that I'm lazy. It should have just don't care. Him and I have been throwing that at each other at the end of a work day or when something didn't go right. We just threw that line out constantly. Mm-hmm. It was some it great has so lines. many good uses. Oh, absolutely. You can use it everywhere. Why didn't you take out the trash? Yeah. Well, not that I'm lazy. I just don't care. <laughs> so next, uh, we're going to get the, um, Peter telling the guys that they're fired. Yes. So Peter spends the next several days hanging out with Joanna and fishing with Lawrence. He shows back up at Inatech at the request of the Bobs to find out that not only is he getting a promotion with people reporting to him, he's getting a raise and stock options. But among that, both Samir and Michael are being fired. He meets with his friends that night and asks Michael if the virus he's always talking about will actually work. Michael explains that the virus will take the fractions of a penny that remain on every bank transaction and deposit them into an account. The theft will be so gradual that it will take years before it's even noticed. The three friends agree that it's a foolproof scam and decide to put it in motion the following day before Samir and Michael are let go for good. They also agree not to tell anyone else, even though Lawrence has heard all the details of the plan through the apartment wall. Peter assures Samir and Michael that Lawrence is cool. So, Des, they say it's a foolproof plan, but I feel like there's a lot of room for something to go wrong here. Oh, I love through the wall. Don't worry, man. I won't say anything either. Those guys are like, oh, who's that? Every, don't worry. He's cool. He's said, don't worry. Every time that voice came through that wall, I had to laugh. Yeah, uh, it, was, when, it was some of the clever writing in this movie. I mean, that's what makes uh, Lawrence so impressive to me because these are the things that keep the script from feeling completely flat. Oh, uh, just just Peter sitting on the chair watching Kung Fu with Joanna, and you hear through the wall, Peter, turn to channel nine. The first exam is on. Yeah, I yeah. was laughing my ass off of all the times for him to say that he's with Joanna. I love the neighbor. I love the neighbor. There's a small musical interlude showing our heroes loading up the virus before security escorts Michael and Samir out of the building since it's their last day. Peter then takes them to a nearby field to give them a going away present, the printer that's been the bane of their existence. Michael and Samir take out their frustrations on the machine, totally demolishing it with their feet, a baseball bat, and even Michael's bare hands. The day ends badly for Milton as well when he's asked to move his desk into storage unit two in the basement and Lumberg confiscates his red swing line stapler. So the printer scene is iconic. I mean, if you've seen this movie... Everybody has wanted to do this to some piece of technology in their life. And they actually have charity drives where people do these kinds of things. I've seen in news stories about them. What I thought was best about this scene was twice, not once, but twice, uh, Michael had to be pulled away from, <laughs> from the printer because he had so much rage that he wouldn't stop. 
Yeah, before any of this happens, we're going to get the uh, these guys in Peter's kitchen. And Peter says to them, so this is how I see the plan going. And as those words come out of his mouth, we're going to see the installation of the virus at work. And it's done in this really cool kind of James Bond way where they slow it down a little bit. And we're going to get all the handoffs of the disc. Yeah, and I they make it, it seem really complicated, and like it was this long thing. And then when it ends, he goes, oh, that was easy. Now what do we do? We just wait. And I thought that was pretty funny. You know, oh, the, the the two the two uh, Samir and and Michael, their chairs spinning, and one hands a disc to the other, and yeah. Samir and makes the nice. And- oh yeah, and Samir <laughs> and my Peter walking at each other. I mean, that's like spy tradecraft. Seems oh, yeah. eleven. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's possible. It's wicked it good. It was and, really uh, funny. So they they take the copier out. You know, first of all, they're driving in the car, and you know. Michael says, you know, or Samir says, you know, they treated us like, you know, had security escort us to the door like we're going to steal something. And, you know, and Peter confesses, well, I did steal something. And, you know, he tells them he's got the copier. They take it out in the field. They beat the bag out of this thing in slow motion. Super cool. Uh, Then they go out, they party, they get shit faced. And the next morning, Peter's going to break his number one rule. You know, yeah. she, you know, uh, Joanne is going to tell say, anyone. And the first thing he does is tell somebody. Yeah. Exactly. What were you guys celebrating? Well, he says, I'm not at liberty to say cut scene in the car. Okay. So it's like when you're at the store and <laughs> you need a penny and you take the pennies from the tray, she goes the crippled kid jar. <laughs> no, not the crippled kid jar, the tray, you know, take a, take a penny if you need it. And, uh, oh, yeah. So. He's trying to explain funny. it to her and he's trying to sugarcoat it and make it seem on the up and up. And she's just not buying it. She's saying, you know, you're fucking lying. Oh, she's just, she's calling him out. His, his plan is so righteous in his mind that he can't see that it's yeah. actually stealing. She tries to, it. he tries to explain his way out of that two, three times. And she's like, but it's stealing. It's like he's trying to convince himself it's okay. Exactly, he knows it's exactly. wrong. That okay. weekend on their way to a party being thrown by Tom, a former Inatech employee that was recently in an accident so bad, most of the bones in his body were broken. Recently, also a laid-off Inatech co-worker, Peter reveals the penny-pinching software scam to Joanna. Despite his best efforts, he fails to convince her that what he, Samir, and Michael are doing isn't stealing. Once at the party, Peter finds out to his horror that Joanna once slept with Lumberg. He confronts her with this information on the way home from the party. They argue, and she gets let out of the car, saying her previous history is not his to judge, that it was two years ago, and proclaims that he needs to grow up. Peter then suffers a horrible nightmare in which he envisions Lumberg having sex with Joanna. <laughs> so here's the question. Is it stealing? I think it's stealing. Yeah, they're absolutely it's, stealing. It's, it's totally breaking stealing. the law. Absolutely. Yeah. You're stealing. If you have to write a code that you're putting in through the back door on the credit union, you're stealing. Yeah. You're stealing. Had it worked the way it was supposed to, they probably would have gotten away with it and it would have been fine, but it still would have been stealing. Yes. Uh, I love Tom's cookout. This is one of my favorite parts of the movie and I love the lawyer. This is great. So they're going to find this lawyer and they're going to talk to him and they're hoping this lawyer is going to put their minds at rest. Worst case scenario this lawyer is going to say, oh, yeah, conjugal visits. That's not what they're going to get from this guy. <laughs> lawyer says, I have a client in minimum security prison right now. It's no joke. 
He goes, he tells me the secret is kick somebody's ass the first day or become someone's bitch. <laughs> and Michael Bolton gets so nervous. Why are you asking me anyway? Michael Bolton gets so nervous. He like loses his little red cup of ice. Uh, total fucking, totally great. And this great guy scene. Drew is a complete dipshit. You know, <laughs> I, everybody knows this guy with his fucking oh, oh, oh face, you know? Oh, that oh. was just, that the made me laugh so much. sunglasses with the little rubber thing that holds the sunglasses on his head. Oh, yeah. he was... Them. Oh he God. was a trendy little douche. They're, they're douche <clears throat> material, 100%. Absolutely. <laughs> I thought the scene with showing Tom's accident was was perfectly written because you, you had to know that it was coming. Yeah. The way he saves, he tries to kill himself. His wife stops him. He has a change of heart. He's backing out of the driveway. I knew the minute he started backing out of that driveway, he was getting crushed with something. Yeah, he yeah. sure does. No, his stupid jump to conclusions fucking game. <laughs> <laughs> the jump to conclusions, Matt. <laughs> oh, that was so horrifying. And then he actually shows it on the floor at his party, and it looks like the silliest game that even a two-year-old couldn't play. Yeah, I thought that uh, I thought that Peter was overstepping his bounds big time, uh, questioning who Joanne had slept with, even if it was the right Lumberg. It's still horse shit, you know? Agreed. She's too good for this guy, and she oh, shouldn't yeah. have to be making excuses to this guy and who she slept with, you know? Agreed. Yeah, so. she's totally vindicated when she gets out of that car for his reaction, because his reaction was was, was absolutely uh, unnecessary. Yeah. There's right, no reason ahead. for him to react like that. All right, so back at Tchotchke's, Joanna's boss is on her ass again about her flair, or lack thereof. Joanna decides she's finally had enough, expressing herself by flipping him the bird, and she gets fired from her job. The next morning, Peter checks the balance in the illicit penny-pinching scam account and finds it is a shocking $305,326.13. The three friends meet, and Michael chalks the glitch up to a decimal place error. Meanwhile, at Inditech, the poor treatment continues for Milton. After he's denied a piece of office birthday cake, this being the second time, according to him. The last <laughs> round comes in the form of a request to please go ahead and take care of the cockroach problem in storage unit two. An action that Milton points out is not in his job description. And then the lights get turned out at him while he's still sitting at his desk. So good. <laughs> he that mumbles that perhaps awesome. he'll burn down the building. <laughs> oh, that was such a great scene. Oh, I, love the, I love the character Stan. Did you notice his goofy $100 bill tie? So good. <laughs> And, 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 and Delin mentioning that that's my judge. That's why I had the face when you were saying Stan, Joanna's boss, played by Mike Judge. I was like, oh, my God, that was Mike Judge. Crazy. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah, whole, the whole thing with Flair was just, I mean, I was never uh, someone who visited places like Fridays and places where they dress like that. Um the closest I came to that was the Texas Roadhouse. When they have a birthday party, they make you sit on a saddle that's rolled out on wheels while everybody looks happy birthday to you. Yeah, it was it was horrifying. Believe me, I was not happy. Um, Did they make but, you sit on the saddle? And I swear to God, if it wasn't... Yeah, yeah, that's a true story. True story. When you go there and it's your birthday, they will roll out a saddle that looks like a saddle on a sawhorse and you sit on it while everybody sings happy birthday. So it's a giant spectacle 
And it's not like you're in the fucking corner of the place. We're like sitting in the middle of the goddamn restaurant and everybody, I'm looking around and everybody is just staring at me like I'm the biggest idiot on the planet. And I, and I swear to God, I said this to my mom because it was my mom's idea. It's her favorite restaurant. I looked at her, I said, this will be the last time I ever do this. And I'm only doing this for you. And she just started laughing. It's funny. It was Dylan's birthday uh, yesterday and um, we went out for Mexican food, me and her. And I was, she gets embarrassed very easily. So I'm telling her, you know, I'm going to tell him it's your birthday. We'll get him all over the table and sing. She's like, you know, I get up and leave. I will literally just get up and leave. So while we're there, the table behind us has a birthday party and there's like, 15 Mexican people like happy birthday with the fucking <laughs> like with the with the mariachi like version of happy oh birthday. God. No, they were. They were playing like a mariachi version of happy, right? It wasn't and they like put a gigantic sombrero on the dude's head. And I'm like, how many other people's uh, heads has that thing been on? Like, uh, oh God. I want like to me fucking, in the saddle. I wanted to fucking call her out, but it would have been a problem. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, I'm so sure of that. Mm-mm, but I'm it probably wouldn't have you. been as embarrassing as straddling that saddle at the Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> I gotta be honest with yeah. you, that's worse. Yeah, oh, yeah that, was. that was. I, I love Texas Roadhouse. They, I don't eat red meat or pork anymore. It's been about six years. But back in my steak-eating days and my cow-eating days, that place was fucking great. Yeah, they got some great food there, but I'll tell they, you. They but that's... And getting back to the flair, I just... It's the first time I'd ever heard of something referred to like that. Is it's called flair, and I'm like, the first time I saw it, I'm like, you've got to be shitting me. This is important in the scheme of the world. How? I love when Peter says to uh, Joanne, "The Nazis wear made the Jews wear flair," you know, and she's like, "What?" Oh, I'm sorry. That's <laughs> the the first time I saw the movie. I was like, "What the fuck did he just say?" <laughs> and I was like, I can't believe you just said that. And then the second yeah. time I watched it, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, so, all right. So go ahead. Let's keep rolling. All oh, right. all right. So wait, wait. At Bill's birthday party. Dude, that that singing of happy birthday is fucking amazing. And you hear some of them saying Bill and some going, Mr. Lumberg. But and the look on his face while they're singing it, he's rolling his eyes. He's disgusted by these people. He's disgusted by their <laughs> birthday party. It's fucking awesome. And I love Milton. He wants his slice of cake. He's going to oh, get the first man. slice. He's ready to dig in. And of course, fucking, uh, what's her name? Tina. Tina. That's not her name, but whatever. No, I know. The, the redhead. That just says Tina. And I go along with it. The fucking redheaded reception. <laughs> I, Nina. I think it's Nina. Nina. It okay, I was Nina. close. I was close. I was close. Nina, middle in, pass it on. Got to make sure everybody gets a slice. You know, but, and he's uh, like, I, 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 I didn't get a piece last time. I didn't get a piece last time. And and then as they're cutting the, the cake up and passing it out, you can hear him <laughs> going, the, the uh, cake to person ratio is getting smaller. And he's like, he's fucking stressing. <laughs> that he's not going to get it. And then the last piece... The last piece comes out and Nina takes it. She looks to the left, notices Milton doesn't have one, and digs in. Oh, man. <laughs> and the Milton moment mumbles. that last piece got on the plate and you saw the person in Milton's left holding that plate and it not go to his hand, 
I was like, oh, no, this cannot end well. Yeah, I could definitely burn this place down. Oh, man, that Absolutely. was awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Milton right. was without a question my favorite character. Just the way he talked, he was so meek. He might as well do I swear there was probably a sign on his back that somebody put there that said doormat because everybody walked on this guy. But he wasn't a doormat. He's the only one that fucking stands up for himself at the end of the movie. Yeah. He was I mean, it took him a couple of years, but yeah. I thought his obsession with that stapler, though, was a little freaky. I loved it. That was what I thought there was. All right, let's keep going. Okay. So Peter, Samir, and Michael have been mulling over their problem of too much stolen money all day and determined that they're simply not good criminals. The trio are afraid of going to prison and being sexually assaulted. Before they adjourn for the night, Peter learns from Michael and Samir that they were also aware that Joanna had, had slept with a former employee named Lumberg who got transferred and it wasn't their boss. It wasn't the same person. And honestly, his... uh his behavior was still terrible no matter who it was. But anyways, um, so the scene with Orlando Jones, <laughs> with the the kid selling the magazines. Awesome. Oh my God. I thought I was going to die through the whole thing. It's just so, funny. so cringy. So cringy. When I, I saw was... Orlando Jones on the other side of that door, I was like, Holy shit. Look at this. It's, <laughs> it's the one face I recognized other than Jennifer Aniston. So good in this, you know. I used to be addicted to smoking crack. <laughs> I am now selling magazines to get my life together. And then he's finally like, "All right, look, guys, I'm a fucking software engineer. <laughs> out of work software engineer. Out of work yeah. software engineer. So good. Um, yeah, it was really funny. He makes uh, Peter buy, you know, forty subscriptions to Vibe magazine. To <laughs> what am I going to do with shut? forty subscriptions to Vibe? <laughs> so good and. You know, we're going to get some more great lines. We get the federal pound me in the ass prison from yeah. Michael. Also, you know, when he uh, when he's told that he's being fired, you know, we didn't talk about that line. He gives the old, I told those fudge packers I liked Michael Bolton, you know. Doesn't he also uh, call them cock gobblers? Yeah, cock, cock gobblers. gobblers. You guys oh, can yeah. eat my ass. I mean, it's, these are, these are, you know, cock gobblers eat my ass. Fucking this shit is all great. It's shit that I use on an everyday basis, you know? You know, this is something that just occurred to me as I'm listening to you laugh about um, Michael's reactions and the things that he's saying. I see Michael and Peter as Beavis and Butthead. A little bit. Mm. Well, okay. just just the way Peter, uh, Michael, was, would, was freaking out at the bar, calling him cock gobblers, and you guys can eat my ass. All I can see is this is Mike Judge with Beavis and Butthead live. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. It makes sense for sure. I, I think yeah. that's actually a good comparison. Yeah, I uh, think so too. So, so I love thought. when fucking Peter calls over. Hey, Lawrence, you want to come over and have a beer? No, thanks, man. I want you fucking my life up too. That was <laughs> awesome. Fucking, awesome. You know, Lawrence is Every Lawrence. He's great, and he's one of the smartest characters in the movie. I mean, you know, he's got his life dialed in. He's not, you know, he's not worried about shit. Fuck, goes to work, does his drywall or his fucking demo or whatever he's doing. He's a blue collar worker. You know, he's just a grunt. He comes home, he drinks his beers, you know, he fucking jacks off to some porno or, you know, jacks off to listening to Peter banging his girlfriend next door. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he lives a simple life. And I, I fucking, I respect that. I really like Lawrence. He played in, um, wasn't he in Beverly Hillbillies? Didn't he play uh, Je oh, Jethro? Know. I think Maybe. he played Jeff. I think he did. 
I didn't yeah, see the movie, but it looks. I, I remember seeing trailers that looked like him. I've yeah, seen I think that face in one. other movies too. I have to. I just oh, he's can't remember in where. Other movies, no question. But that's that's the one I think I recognize from is Jethro in uh, Beverly Hillbillies. Um. Yeah, his, his <laughs> ent- everything he had to say coming through the other side of that wall was awesome. Oh, he was so, on, in Napoleon Dynamite too. That's right. He was in Napoleon Dynamite. All right, keep us going. Keep us rolling. All right. So let's see here. After Michael and Samir leave, Peter knows what he must do. He decides to return the money to Inatech, along with a note taking responsibility for the whole thing. First, Peter meets Joanna outside of the new restaurant she's working for and informs her that he may be going to jail for a while since he's planning to take the blame for the embezzlement scam. He asks for her forgiveness and says that though he might never find a job that he likes, he thinks he could be happy in his life if he's with her. And she forgives him immediately. Peter then sneaks into Inatech after hours and slips the envelope containing his confession letter and $300,000 in traveler's checks under Lumberg's office door. The next morning, Milton harangues Lumberg's secretary about not being paid and then lets himself into Lumberg's empty office in an effort to retrieve his red stapler. Back at his apartment, Peter bids farewell to Lawrence and hits off, heads off to hit the road. On his way out, he passes the Inatech building, which is now completely engulfed in flames. As the building collapses, we see Milton wandering away from the crowd, mumbling about his stapler. So, uh, Des, I'm sure that I know and you know that there's jobs that we would have been thrilled to see go up in flames. But I imagine Peter was very relieved. Yeah. Um, So this scene with Peter and Joanna, it felt very... um, unauthentic on his part. You know, he was fine letting her go when he thought, you know, she had banged Lumberg and, you know, he's got this money now. He thinks he's going to be getting this money. And he's like, fuck off. You know, I'm too good for you. You fucked Lumberg. And he's fine with it. Now he's losing the money and there's a chance he's going to jail and he goes running back to her because he wants someone to support him now. He's going to jail in his mind. He's got nothing. And she takes him right back. She should have been like, fuck you, dude. You know, you fucking didn't want anything to do with me when you were on top. And now you're fucking down and you just want to come crawling back to have someone to support you. And I didn't like it. I didn't think that it, uh, I didn't think it fit his character really. And it made me not like him. Made me not want him to win at that point. What'd you guys think? I mean, to be fair, I think that this is a little bit of weak writing. You know, it's like, uh, this romance kind of is, a little bit out of pocket for the story that they're telling, you know? Yeah. I felt like from here on the, the movie felt like, uh, like I felt like they had written this movie nice and tight up until he, uh, leaves to go and return the money. I feel like the last, I don't know how much time has left this movie, maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Yeah. I feel like it was rushed. It wasn't like flushed out completely. And it's funny because I did read that, um, judge didn't like the end of this movie and he wanted to go back and do a rewrite because he thought that there were too many gaps in it, too many holes in it. Um, didn't make perfect sense and probably was a little bit unrealistic. And the studio just said, no, you know, we just want to put this thing out and we don't want to pay for a rewrite and we don't want to hold up shooting anymore. So he was forced to roll with what they had. And I think the movie suffers for it. And I think you can really kind of stink. He smell the stink on the end of this movie a little bit. Yeah, there's there was there's too many things that weren't answered. I mean, you have to assume that uh, once the place goes up in flames, you have to assume that Milton found the money. 
what what was strange was is the he, the door was open. He Peter had to put the money underneath the door because you assume it's locked because it's at night. And <laughs> before the camera even leaves the scene, he comes rushing back to try and get the money back. And it's like, well, where the hell did that come from? Because he was having second second thoughts. You don't want to go to prison. <clears throat> yeah, but yeah, he'd already honestly... come to. He came to grips with that when he no, left his apartment. That was the joke. The joke was he had second thoughts. He he was fucking second guessing his choice. So he was trying to retrieve the envelope. He was he was like, fuck this, I'm not going to jail. And then he realized it's it's under the door, he's locked out, he can't get it. How did he get into Inatech? I mean, how does he have the keys and the passcode? I mean Yeah, I mean the place is closed and locked up. That's what I thought too when I saw him inside. I'm like, how the fuck did he get in? I there? mean, granted he did have a promotion at that point. Maybe he had access to the building, but I don't know. I was I was kind of wondering about that. Um, well, I thought I thought it was just strange. Milton walks into the office to find his stapler, and that's the only thing he was looking for. And then come the end of the movie, you find that he never found his damn stapler. Yeah, I had remembered him stepping on that envelope and it sticking to his shoe. Um, but I didn't see it when I watched a movie this time again. He does step on the envelope. No, yeah, he does step on it, but it doesn't yeah. stick to it. Yeah, but so it's the only time you see that. You're left to assume that he stepped on it as he walked in and as he's going to leave, he sees it. He finds it. it. He picks yeah, up well, these are, these are the things, these are the conclusions that you have to make yourself because they don't explain it. Jump um, to conclusions. Jump to conclusions, <laughs> exactly. But you knew, you knew that Milton had set the fire because Peter's laughing his ass off as he watched Milton slink away from the crowd watching the place go up in flames. And at that point, I, I had an idea of who had the money before we actually saw who had the money. Yeah. Yeah. I love when Peter's leaving his apartment in the morning to go to work to see what had happened, you know, to face Lundberg. And Lawrence says, hey, Peter, watch out for your cornhole. <laughs> Fucking just more Another great, great lines. Lawrence lines. Yeah. Lawrence, yeah. Lawrence was the guy Fliegman of this movie. Yeah. He got all the good lines. Yeah. And there's no way the fire is covering up all the evidence. You know, there's going to be backup files at corporate. I mean, it's just, it, it was sloppy. Yeah. They show the, they show the computer burning up to say, you know, the evidence was burnt up, but no, $350,000 doesn't go missing uh, with no paper trail at all. Um, But, you know, so we're going to see, oh, go ahead. Take okay. Finish this up. All right. So later we see Peter has joined Lawrence's construction crew and is working on the cleanup of the Inatech fire. Peter runs across a charred red stapler and scoops it up. He knows there's somebody who would like it. Michael and Samir come by to visit on their lunch break from their new jobs. The friends conclude that the fire likely consumed the confession letter and all the money, and they decide they're in the clear, but it's too bad all the money got lost. Peter soaks in the simple pleasure of working outside and making an honest living, refusing when they offer to help him get a spot at their new job. Next, we see Milton at a beautiful Mexican resort, and the mystery of what happened to the money is solved. When he's given the wrong drink order, he first threatens to take his business and traveler's checks to a competing resort. Then he threatens to burn down the resort or put strychnine in the guacamole. (laughs) (laughs) And we actually see flames over the resort. I have to say, now see, I have to say, I was specifically, because when you told me that it worked today, I was specifically looking for that, and I did not see flames. I'm pretty the sure they superimposed flames 
over the I was looking for my controller to see if I could get it there. But yeah, I'm 99% sure they superimposed some flames over the resort at the very end of that scene. Uh, I could be wrong, but if I, if anybody I know. knows, leave it and maybe comment and let us know uh, if you saw the flames. Yeah, because I just might have been too fucking high to realize there was fire. <laughs> um, I love Peter working with um, Lawrence at the end of this movie. I thought it was great. He finally is getting fresh air and, you know, it's just a great ending. And he says, you know, that uh, Joanna's bringing him lunch. He tells the other guys, you know, he doesn't want a job you know, working in the cubicles with them anymore. And he says, he thinks the fire gobbled up the uh, evidence and everybody should be fine. I thought all that was great. And he says to Lawrence, you know, hey, this is pretty good. You know, we got some fresh air and, you know, just two guys putting a day's pay. And, you know, Lawrence looks at him and says, fucking A. And Peter <laughs> looks in the fucking, the camera just says, fucking A. And I just fucking love that. It's 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 fucking great. So Peter's entire yeah. demeanor from beginning to end of this movie is bipolar. Yeah. So what I my question was this. So eventually, um, the money trail is going to be found. That that money's not going to just be like, oh, well, fucking Peter burned up. I guess we'll never know what happened to it. Bullshit. They're going to find out what happened to it. So the only employee that has been fired recently is Milton. He's a disgruntled employee. Everybody knows well, he's it. He's not the only employee that's been fired recently. Michael and Samir were just fired. So right, right. And there was but, a bunch of layoffs. But he's a maniac, and everybody knows it. He's a he's a, <laughs> dis, he's a disgruntled employee. He's the only one that's like been openly disgruntled. Yes. And uh, my other question was: This is a um, a tech company. There's no uh, there's no video cameras. There's no surveillance there in this in this high tech building. You know, showing people picking up envelopes and leaving envelopes in the middle of the night and doing fucking shady shit with CDs and play. I mean, I think that there's there's video of all of this going well, on, but well, even that's if there's what Michael not, says Michael says there's enough evidence all over that building that we were involved. Yeah, but even if there's not, you know, the arson is going to find that the the fire department, the arson detective is going to figure out this was a. This fire was arson. Milton's going to get caught. Milton was the guy <laughs> who was disgruntled. Now he's they're going to find him. Yeah, he's spending large sums of money off on some vacation. He's going to get blamed for this whole thing. Period. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Should he be held responsible for this crime? Was my, was Peter... Um, ab what's the word I'm looking for? Absolved absolved of this crime when he wrote the confession and left the money under the door. Once Milton picks that envelope up and goes the rest of the way with it, is it now totally on Milton? Yeah. I I'd have to say, yeah. Because had Milton say, not done that, the money would have been returned and Peter would have taken responsibility. So once he does that, I feel like he has washed his hands clean. He's done everything he can to undo what he's done. And Milton now has taken responsibility for everything that Samir, Michael, and Peter did. He's now saying, I take responsibility. I'm taking the money. I'm taking responsibility for this crime. You guys are now innocent. That's how I kind of read it. Well, that's yeah. because, I mean, he he did uh, take full blame. So his friends didn't get in trouble. Um, and had I not, I don't remember which scene comes first. Does Milton on the beach come before or after 
Peter is shoveling at the dig site. After. Before, right? After. <laughs> it comes okay. after. Okay. It's the very last thing you see. Okay. Okay, yeah. So when I first watched this and the camera showed the shovel more than once, that's usually a tell that that shovel's going to find something. So I actually expected Peter to find the money not burned up. Just, right. I'm like, that, that was the first thing I thought of. When I saw that shovel find the stapler, I'm like, he's going to find the money, isn't he? And of that course, that didn't happen. Did it wasn't even there anymore. Right, exactly. And that didn't happen. And when that didn't happen, and the camera on the beach is showing the water, and it's panning from left to right, heading to the beach, I immediately knew who was going to be in that scene. <laughs> Easily. As much as I knew Tom was going to get crushed by that truck, I knew I was going to see Milton sitting on that beach. Yeah. What I didn't expect, I kind of expected him to be a little more assertive because now he had this money. So it was twice as funny for me to still hear him stammering and talking softly and still being dismissed by the yeah. freaking waiter because there was salt on his margarita glass. I loved it. I specifically it. asked for no salt. Oh, that was so funny. And, and, I really honestly thought that his demeanor was going to be more assertive. You would hear him talk normally. So when he started stammering and, and, and talking softly again and being walked on again, I'm like, okay, that's, that's kind of better than what I was hoping for. Yeah, it's just who he is. Yeah. It's Milton. Now, my question was this. I wonder if those glasses were real. No. His <laughs> but eyes his were eyes. fucking Yeah, but like his eyes look huge. Yeah, that's yeah, my yeah. point though. The whole point was to make his eyeballs look huge. Right. So so that well, of course. Right. That's what I was thinking. Because mm -hmm. in the beginning of the movie, you see a profile of of Milton, and the lenses look like they're a half an inch thick. <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit, are. look at how big. <laughs> and then and when you see his eyes, his eyes look magnified. Yeah, and he's looking so at all I could think to my, all I could think to myself was, how did this fucking guy see when he was walking around the set with these glasses on? Because they they had to have been somewhat distorted for him yeah, to see. Well, he through. doesn't walk an awful lot if you think about it. Really, the only time he walks oh, is when yeah, he walks yeah, into Lumberg's yeah. office and he's shuffling. He's doing like that foot shuffle. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's okay, that's just he's just that wearing them when they're shooting his head. So. You're looking. You're looking for the fire in the scene, aren't you? I am. I, I knew it. Okay. I knew I find it. it. Well, it's time All to right. move on to the recasting couch. Okay. Um, so, uh, <coughs> let's see. Delin, go ahead. You tell us who you would recast in All this right. movie. Uh, I would recast Peter. Yeah. And I would recast him with John Cusack. Oh. I can see yeah. that. I can yeah, see right? that. Right? Doesn't yeah. it fit? Sure, and I think yeah. it might be even better because I, I'm not trying to dunk on Ron Livingston, but I just feel like John Cusack is a bit of a better actor, so I think it would yeah. have been a step up. Okay, Pat, who would you recast? Uh, that's a good question. Um, it's just it's, I was thinking of maybe doing Peter, um, actually, with as silly as it may sound, Vince Vaughn. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. I mean, two guys from uh, 
two guys from Swingers. So I like that. It's kind of interesting. I think it would work. Well, I, and, I'm, I'm picturing Peter from Dodgeball and how relaxed and laid back he seemed. And I'm like, I can see Finn's Vaughn pulling that off. Peter LaFleur. Right. And yes. um, I think that I would replace um, Lumberg's character with one. Who's the guy that does um, The Mandalorian? Pedro Pascal. No, the guy who wrote it, who does the. Oh, um, Favreau. John Favreau. John Favreau. So I would like to see John Favreau as Lumberg. I think okay. he could pull it off. I yeah, I can see that good. because he was Happy Hogan was kind of a simple-minded guy in the beginning of the Marvel universe. Yeah. I think I just well I think he would play it a little bit more um aggressively and less dim-witted than what um What was that the actor. movie we were watching where he was being so rude to his girlfriend, honey? Yeah, oh, oh yeah. So um I love you, man. That's that's yeah. how he would play it. That's how it was that's so how so rude. It was embarrassing to watch. Yeah, yeah. And he no, was a I total was dick. Good. He was a total yeah. dick. Yeah, I thought that that's how he would play it. It would actually work really well. All right. So there we go. Let's give our final thoughts and our uh, rewatch. So uh, again, I, I've watched this movie hundreds of times. I love it. It's pop culture. It's something that's set in my psyche because of all the great one-liners. Going back and watching it again, very simple. Very, very, very simple movie. Um not a lot to dissect here. You know, it's one of these podcasts where you're more just kind of like reciting jokes. I mean, it's just not a lot to talk about. Um, I thought the end felt like it was uh, not written. And, and, and yet we're at a, an hour and a half. So. Well, it's because I have 45 minutes of editing to do. <laughs> um, uh, you know, but, you know, whatever. I thought it was, I thought it was fine. Uh, my rewatch score on this one is going to be uh, 4.0 and I'm giving it that score on nostalgia. It's probably not that good of a movie, but it's a 4.0 for me. Pat? Um, this is the first time I've ever seen this. I watched it twice and like with other movies I've done, um, I may not like the movie, but I like talking about it because there's always opposing views and it always gets a good laugh. Um, and like with Dumb and Dumber, I the first time I watched it, I couldn't quite get the the grasp of the humor, but I did find it funnier the second time around. So I'm gonna give it a three because I'm guessing if I watched it a third time, I'd probably find it even funnier than the second time. That's what I did with Big Trouble in Little China. I I gave it a higher score than I felt I should have, but I just knew if I kept watching it, it would get better and better. Yeah, because so, I've seen that multiple times. When you anticipate yeah. the funny, it's that much better. Yeah. Dylan, what'd you think of Office Space? All right. So it's still hilarious. Um, parts of it didn't uh, age very well, but that's okay. It is a product of 1999. You know, it really is. Um, the love story, if you want to call it that, between Jennifer Aniston and Ron Livingston is kind of weird and isn't really written well. And I'm not saying anything bad about Mike Judge because he's hilarious, but it just kind of felt weird and, and awkward. Uh, so I'm going to give it a 3.7. 3.7. All right. So this movie comes out to about a 3.75 for Office Space. Uh, it's, it's a good movie. If you haven't seen it, you like one-liners, 
go watch it. You won't be disappointed. I think you'll like it. I mean, they're not breaking anything, you know, breaking new ground here. It's, it's just, it's fine. It's just fine. There are um, some great lines. Yeah. So it's good for a laugh. It is. It's good for a few laughs. Um, so we're going to be back next week. We're going to be reviewing uh, the 1982, I believe, um, creep show. And for the first time, we will be having two of our co-hosts on the show with uh, Mickey, who is scheduled to do it, and Tony, who is the horror buff, and he wanted to be on the show for this one. I asked him if he would come do it, and he um, he said he would. So there's going to be four of us next week. We'll see how that goes. I'm sure there'll be some editing to do after that one. Um, And the movie was actually requested by a listener. So we'll have a listener write in and we'll give you his memories on the movie. Um, it's the first, actually the second, the third one we've done like that. Um, so yeah. Um, as always, it's fun watching movies from opposite sides of the house and reviewing with you (laughs) and Pat, you know, brought it as always Dylan, please tell the listeners where they can find the podcast. All right. So you can find the podcast on Facebook at Hey, Did You Ever See That Movie? You can find us on Twitter at Hey, Did You Ever See That Movie? You can find us on Instagram at Hey, Did You Ever See That Movie? And our email address is Hey, Did You Ever See That Movie? at gmail.com. Yes. And wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening to this podcast, um, please leave a good review, share it with your friends. And leave the podcast a five-star rating because it helps the podcast grow. It's very important. So if you're listening to the podcast, we're not asking you for money. We're just asking you to help us grow the podcast by doing one of those things or all of those things. Um, yeah, so that's it. Until oh, next- just one more thing. Oh, and okay. De- Des has a, uh, a sister podcast called breaking vinyl where they're doing albums and you should check that out it's also everywhere that this podcast can be found so definitely make sure you check it out correct it's called breaking vinyl you can get it on facebook twitter everywhere you find this same thing and we will be reviewing prince's album purple rain this week so check that one out we've also done nothing shocking by jane's addiction and motley Crue's shout at the devil so there you go all right guys until next week i just have one question for you hey did you ever see that movie no see you later bye he said no (laughs) three two one stupid countdown (laughs) why don't we What do we think? Hang on. What? Why do we? What? Why do we? All right. What, what do we think? Are you having a stroke? What? What were we? Th- what were we think? <clears throat> what were we thinking? Wait a second. What were we? Th- <laughs> I'm fucking trying to do fucking Crocodile Dundee and I had it perfectly earlier. Hang on. What were we... What? Oh, here we go. What were we... What were we thinking, mate? Wait, wait, what were we... What were we... What? What? What were we... I can't... I don't have it now. What were we thinking? Now it all can't figure out. Yeah, hey. Well, three, two, one, showtime.